Hi, I'm Dr. Emmanuel Aiko. The early signs of a heart attack can vary. The most common include squeezing across the chest, a feeling of unease, and a sense that something just isn't right. It can be easy to dismiss the early signs of a heart attack as the symptoms don't always feel severe. It's never too early to call 999 and describe your symptoms. Your NHS is here for you. Well, look at this! Here's the guy here just in the nick of time! What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir! Ain't we just! Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake! This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice. The world's only 12-hour strong man on the air. Here on We Love Radio 108 FM. The last on your dial, but first in your hearts. And that's the truth, Ruth. Here I am. Am I here? You know it. It, you know. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy doing the nasty to your ears, your ears to the nasty. Eyes only play the platters that matter, the matters they platter. And that's the Taruk root. From the heart of Bed-Stuy, you're listening to We Love Radio. Doing the yin and the yang, the hip and the hop, the stupid fresh thing, the flippity flop. Oh! I have today's forecast for you. Hot! The color for today is black. That's right, black, so you can absorb some of these rays and save that heat for winter. So you want to get on out there, wear that black, and be involved. Also, today's temperature is going to rise up over 100 degrees, so that's a jerry curl alert. That's right, jerry curl alert. If you have a jerry curl, stay in the house, or you'll end up with a permanent plastic helmet on your head forever. We are the small axe, sharp and to cut you down. I've been you. on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show, where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus Iaco, and um, I, uh, this week, went and did my, it's my third open mic comedy set. Hi, I'm producer Dave. I didn't do an open mic comedy set because I'm not very funny anyway. I, I invited you. I invited <laughs> you. You didn't show. So. I, 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 I completely forgot my apologies and stuff like that. I'm, so, I, I, I'm, I, I, I am not I am not a comedian and I didn't do an open mic. 
uh, I stayed at home and suffered in the sweltering heat that we've been suffering this week. Hey, it turns out I'm not a comedian. I didn't suffer. So I enjoyed the heat. But yeah. nah, nah, it's all good. It was. I mean, it was. It was. A, it was. A, it, you didn't miss much at all. It was. A, I mean, it was a good venue. It was a good venue. It's uh, the it nice and spiky comedy uh, club in Islington. It's the Regent Pub in Islington, um, and it's it's a it's a nice venue. Some nice comedians going there. And on Mondays they go and do they do new new material Mondays. So you get new comedians coming up or you get existing comedians who come up and they try the new material. So it's literally people who are going up there to practice things that aren't refined yet. And, you know, they, because I've mentioned to them that I'm just starting out and I would like to try a, for a five minute set. And they said, yeah, absolutely. Come on down. Uh, one third. And I recorded it and I put it on the YouTube channel, the idiot on the comedy circuit. So if you want to go and try and see my, my first five minutes here's the promise that i made when i did when i decided to go into this venture i said that because i'm starting from scratch i've never done stand-up comedy before i've been I've, I've been on improv shows but that's different because you're working with other people you're working with pre-arranged material with other people you're bouncing back and forth and whatnot and that's different to just going and telling jokes on stage so because i decided i was going to do this endeavor um, you know, it's it's really different for me. Um, and so I decided to go and do that. It's my third attempt. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the first two uh, because the first two, I mean, the second one was good, was okay. The first one, well, I, I, the, the jury's still out, but we won't, we won't go there. I'm still looking for tape. If I can find tape on it, I might give it to you so you can have a look at it and tell me what you think. But this is the third one. And I made a promise when I started the YouTube channel just saying, I'm going to put out, even when I bomb, when I crush or when I crash, I'm going to put it out there because that's the way I'm going to learn. I'm going to take feedback from everybody. If people say, you know what, don't quit your day job, that's fine. I will take that advice and I will run with it and see what I can do because I plan to carry on as far as I can go in this and see how, how it goes. So, uh, you know, Bruce Dave, you saw the video. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just, put you put you put the headlights on you right now producer dave be as honest as you can be you don't have to go into specific details if you were to give a summary of your opinion on the video that you watched what do you think as far as i'm concerned there were areas which need improvement the last area of the five minutes was great and it just needed expanding as far as I was con concerned. So um, on the whole, I would say it started off um, kind of like middling, but improved over time. I can take that middling, but improved. That's that. That's uh, they'll put that on my obituary. like <laughs> Marcus Ako, middling, but improved towards the end because he died. So that's good. I'm, uh, I, I like that. You know what? At the end day, it's fine. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I never thought I was going to start off as being fantastic. It's good. I'm learning and that's the whole process. So, but thank you very much for your feedback. Um, I will, the, the more I work on it over the next few months, I'm going to be doing a little bit more. I'm going to be trying and getting more interviews with experienced comedians, asking them, you know, how to twist things. And I'll share that with you and with our audience as well. They can come on the show we will also try i i remember i 
producer Dave always has to remind me that this is a film and TV uh, radio show, not a film about comedy. And I've hijacked it because of my late, my latest uh, pet project. But I, we, we will we are tying it back to film and TV news. So the more the comedians we're going to be bringing on, we're going to be asking them more about their film tastes and their TV tastes as well, because there are comedy films, and we'll talk about that a lot more. Uh, in fact, th that's we'll introduce that a little bit more in today's show. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And on today's show, as I just mentioned, obviously, we are still interviewing and talking to a number of comedians because Edinburgh Fringe Festival is coming up pretty soon. If you don't know what the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is, it is essentially a festival in Edinburgh. Uh, where various uh, artists go and perform either drama, they perform, uh, you know, stage plays, one-man shows, one-woman shows, they do stand-up comedy, various type of performance arts occur in the space of a month in August in Edinburgh. And tons of, so tons of comedians, tons of artists that I know uh, are heading up there to go and perform. Some of them are dropping by our show to, you know, promote some of their stuff. Uh, this week, we're going to have Abby Howells, who's taking up her uh, her um, stand-up uh, piece, Harley Queen. So she's taking that up, and we're gonna. I had a conversation with her earlier this week about the show. She and her roots. She's a New Zealand comedian, so she's going to be talking to us about the show, about her rise in comedy. Uh, but before we jump into that spotlight and talk comedy, let's jump into film and TV news. And this week in film and TV news, producer Dave found an article on The Guardian which... Uh, which caught his attention, caught my attention. Producer Dave, do you remember the title of the uh, of the article? The title is, If You Watch Only One Film, The Greatest Movies by the Greatest Directors. Excellent. So this is a, an article in The Guardian uh, by Peter Bradshaw, Simran Hans, Catherine Bray, and Danny Lee. They wrote this article. Uh, essentially, uh, they, they took some of the greatest directors, not all of them, just some of the greatest directors, uh, the, the ones that they always feature on greatest film of all times. Uh, they basically took those directors and said, if you were to pick one film from their, their library, which one would you pick? You destroy everything else. Or not, not necessarily destroy everything else. You'd basically say, right, if you've never seen any of their films, which one would you get them to watch? To, you know, which one would you get a newbie to watch to introduce you to their work? Uh, producer Dave, what did you think about the article and, and the choices that were made? I, I, I was interested by the article and I was interested in the choices as well because um, not all the directors, uh, not all the films they've chosen are the ones that people would instantly come up with for the, that particular director. However, when I thought about it, some of those films were the more, most accessible of the ones that those directors have done, or in the case of one particular film, uh, either prophetic or controversial and still stands today um, okay. in the case of one. Okay. So, uh, so if it's the one I'm thinking you're, you're, you're talking about, let's jump into some of the choices. We won't go through 
all of the directors, but we'll go through some of the, the directors on there and some of the films that were mentioned. And the reason why, I'm for, uh, just to be self-serving, I'm going to mention some of the ones that I've seen the films. So I can <laughs> at least comment on it, as opposed to some of the other ones where I'm like, I'm sorry, who is this person again? Uh, so I'm going to pick some of the films and some of the directors that I know, I've seen their material, I've seen their work, and I'll share. Let's start with the first one, Spike Lee. So do you agree, Producer Dave, with the choice that th these writers had picked for Spike Lee, which was 1989's Do the Right Thing? Okay, I'm going to read the first couple of lines from what they've written, okay? Sure. Just so you can see where I'm coming from. It says, Spike Lee's classic is not so much prophetic as enduringly, tactlessly relevant. Beginning with a warning about climate change and ending with a black man killed in a police chokehold. Like I said, it was prophetic in two senses and controversial at the time as well. And it still stands up today. And it's one of my favorite Spike Lee films for a whole range of reasons. It is kind of showing its age in certain respects, but if you put that to one side, it is still a brilliant film as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so, I, and you know what, some of the choices made by this article, I, 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 some of the choices I do agree with, some of them, and I, we're going to talk about them in a couple of minutes, I was, I felt a little, uh, and I guess with Spike Lee and Do the Right Thing, this, yes, I agree, I agree with the choice of Do the Right Thing. Um, that's not to say that he doesn't have many other great films, I think a Black Klansman is an amazing piece of work. True. I, I, I think that, I think if anything, there's, there's one, for the entire movie, there is just one scene that lets me down in the entire movie. And it is, it's essentially a happy ending type scene at the end of Black Klansman or towards the end of Black Klansman, which for me just seemed really false. And, and I was like, ah, oh, come on, it's too saccharine. Other than that, had they stripped that out, I'd have thought that was a um, fantastic movie. But either way, I agree with their choice for Do the Right Thing because it, it, I remember watching it uh, recently, actually, because I, I had never seen it before. I'd heard a lot about it and I watched it recently. And I remember messaging you saying, I need to talk to you about it <laughs> because there are a lot of things that I've seen in this film that I really need to talk to somebody about it. I don't think we actually got the chance to have that conversation. But, <laughs> uh, but yes, I agree. It is, um, it, it, it's a tight film. It's a good film. It's a good film. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. We're going through the uh, we're going through the article on in the Guardian. If you watch only one film, the greatest movies by the greatest directors, and we've just gone through Spike Lee's uh, "Do the Right Thing" as a selection. The next selection is Jane Campion's "The Piano," 1993. Uh, what do you do? Do you agree with this choice, producer Dave? Um, to be quite honest, I've not seen the film, so I, I really can't comment. So I, I have. I, I, I guess I have, and I do agree with it. Um, there is an argument to be made about the, one of the new ones that uh, I think is the very latest one that she did, which is with um, Benedict Cumberbatch, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's on Netflix. I haven't seen it yet, but it, it kind of divided audiences. A lot of people were saying, oh, it's so great, it's so beautiful. And then some other people were saying, no, it's rubbish and whatnot. Uh, so that may be one that people may argue against it. I did see the piano. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, what's her name? The one from 
Sookie, Sookie Stackhouse from uh, True Blood. She's in it. I can't remember. Anna Paquin, that's it, Anna Paquin. I believe Anna Paquin won an Oscar for that film. So, uh, yeah, so I agree. I, I think that's a good choice. Okay, now let's move to something that I thought was controversial as a pick. And it's Steve McQueen. And they picked Lover's Rock, which is one of the films from the Small Axe anthology, which was on BBC. Uh, it was a BBC production. BBC One, yeah. BBC One, yes. Um, it uh, written written that episode in particular was written by uh, by Courtney Newland, a great a great fantastic author writer. Uh, he wrote a number of he's written a number of books. I highly recommend you seek him out, seek his work. And he wrote Lovers Rock. Now, producer Dave, let us start off first of all by let me, me asking you, um, what did you think of Lovers Rock? And then, do you think that should be the one that introduces people to Steve McQueen, uh, uh, Steve McQueen's sort of you know catalog? Of all the small act stories, Lovers Rock probably is the most accessible. Okay, it's. It's the one that will be the the least um, controversial to a viewer's eyes, if you see what I'm saying. Because basically it was a love story, it was about a party, and there was not very much else going on, on in it apart from that. There were some machinations going on as well, but essentially it was a love story and lots of music, lots of dancing, and it took people who didn't know anything about the black community into what's called what was called a blues party at the time and show them how they responded and what they responded to uh, particularly Janet Kay's um, City Games uh, which yeah. was humongous at the time so, so having said all that about it being the most accessible um, I can see why they've chosen it. It's not necessarily the best of Steve McQueen's films. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've mentioned in there, uh, 12 Years a Slave, yep. Shame. Yep. Um, hunger. Yeah. You know, Hunger. And um, I think they left out Widows, didn't they? They left out Widows, which is the reason why I want to <clears> talk to you about this. Because right. Now, Widows, yeah. Widows, I remember from the TV series. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like cl clouded on that score anyway. Sure. Uh, but if you they even mentioned it in this article if you watch lovers rock and i think the reason why they say this is that if you watch lovers rock you'd be more in, in you'd be more inclined to view his back catalog okay. because it draws you in and if you can see the beauty in lovers rock you can then see the beauty in some of his other films even though they're not as accessible as lovers rock and i think that's the reason why they did it not necessarily going to say that uh, Lovers Rock is the best of his all his stuff, but I can see why they chose it. See, yeah, as a, I mean, I, I did. I really enjoyed Lovers Rock out of the anthology. I think my favorites. I did fall more for Mangrove and Red, White, and Blue. I, those were the ones that sort of pulled me in more um, than Lovers Rock. But I guess that's because. Lovers Rock was more like a was was more like a breath breath of fresh air um, compared to the others because the others were, were heavy. 
it were heavy. Yes, they were heavy. They dealt with a lot of racial tension. They dealt with a lot of aggression and frustration and anger that was felt in the 80s, uh, you know, it, it, by the by the Afro Caribbean community in African Caribbean, uh, African Caribbean. Sorry, African Caribbean community in uh, in London or in the UK at the time. So you know, and then Lovers Rock comes in, and it's just it's so sweet, so cool, so uh, relaxing, so enjoyable. It's like you, you listen to Sade, if you will, just like pumping. Hence Lovers Rock, right? And it's like it's 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 really like really really good. So, but then for them to choose that as your point of entry for Steve McQueen, it's almost kind of setting you up for a gut punch because imagine watching Lovers Rock and then going on watching something like 12 Years a Slave or watching Hunger and the 12 Years a Slave, obviously it's a slavery movie. It's about a guy who is a free man who gets kidnapped and taken into slavery. So for the entire movie, you're just basically there banging your head against the screen, just saying somebody needs to rescue this guy, but you know, whatever. And then you look at Hunger, which is uh, about, you know, this following, I can't remember the name of the character, uh, Matthew Fassbender, Michael Fassbender plays a character where you, you spend a whole five minutes with him in his cell and he's like, you know, he's doing hunger strike and so on. And you, you see the, you know, the visceral nature of him torturing himself to prove a point and so on. And then you go on to other films like you talk about Widows, right? You see Widows is just, it's action packed. Uh, it's following these, uh, these, these, these women whose husbands were killed in a crime. And so they now need to pick up the mantle in order to be able to pay off these gangsters who were trying to hunt. So you, you, you not, you've seen the action, right? But then if you, if you watch Lovers Rock and you think, you know nothing of his back catalog, and you watch Lovers Rock and you think, oh, this is the type of movie that he, this is the type of storytelling or storyteller that he is. And then you go straight into the other ones. What kind of a gut punch is that? You're going to be like, no, this is not what I'm expecting. I don't want this of you, Steve McQueen. That's the reason why I got confused. I personally felt that Widows would probably be a good entry point for Steve McQueen because it is accessible, it's wide ranging has amazing cinematography. I mean, there's that bit, there's one bit in Widows where Colin Farrell's character is in his car. He's just finished a campaign speech and he's driving from one part of town to the other part of town and the camera is stuck to the outside of the car. And throughout, you never the, car, the camera never goes into the car. You're stuck on the outside of the car. You're hearing the conversation that's going on in the car. And the dynamic of the conversation switches between two people that are talking and at the same time, you're watching the visual of what's happening outside. The environment switches because they're driving from this from this poor part of town of the city to the affluent part of the city where he actually lives. But he's campaigning to be, I think, mayor or something in the other town, right? Uh, and it's sort of you see this switch between the power play in the car, and it's that sort of dynamic storytelling technique from Stephen Queen's amazing, right? That I feel was a better entry point. If you were to tell me, recommend a movie from Steve McQueen as your entry point, I would have gone Widows. I wouldn't have gone with anything from Small Axe um, because, again, it, you talk about accessibility. Yes, to certain people, 
it can be more accessible, but there are others who might look at it and shy away thinking, ah. and then imagine you watch that and then you watch 12 Years a Slave and then you start to think, oh, so that's it. Okay, I get it. It's the black struggle and so on, which it's not. That's not what his work is. His work is personal struggle through various points. Hunger is nothing about race, but it's about a man dealing with his sexual addiction. But I don't know if you want to watch it with your mom and see Michael Fassbender, Fassbender's wang hanging out all, all majestic and whatnot, that might that might be really scary for you to watch that. <laughs> um, so I'd say keep that last. I think it's a great film. I think it's an amazing film. Uh, but still, anyway, um, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And as part of our film and TV news segment, we are talking about the Guardian article. If you only watch, if you watch, sorry, if you watch only one film, the greatest films by the greatest directors. We're picking some of the directors in this list. We'll go with three more and then we can move on to the next segment. And I'm going to throw to you, producer Dave, uh, Pedro Almodovar's Bad Education 2004 what is your opinion about this? Because I haven't seen, I, I, I confused him with another uh, with another director and I realized actually I've never seen any of his films. So what was your opinion on Bad Education being picked as the gateway to Pedro's movies? Um, Bad Education is a good film. It stars Gael Garcia Bernal and he's a great actor anyway. However, as far as I'm concerned, there were two films two standout films by Pedro Almodovar, three if you count Volver, but two. One was Law of Desire, which was the one that really brought him to everyone's attention. But the one that really sort of like sparked off everything for him was Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. That was by far the most accessible of his films. Now, I think compared to Bad Education, it should have been one of those two, probably Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which was such a serious comedy. You, I mean, I think for you, um, Marcus, if I had to recommend one film for you to watch of his right now, I would say Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. It is fantastic. You know what? I will, I will go, I will seek that film out this week and I'm going to go and watch it. Uh, Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown. I've heard things about it. Um, but I haven't seen it yet. So taking your advice, I'm going to go see it. One bit in one film in particular, uh, when I first heard about uh, Pedro Almodovar, I probably pushed his name, I apologize, um, was when he, uh, the film The Skin I Live In came out. And that's when I first film I heard about him. I think that came out in 2011. Uh, and I think it was uh, Mark Kermode who was raving about that film. And so, I, you know, I started hearing a little bit more about him and started hearing some more films pop up. I still haven't seen it yet, haven't seen any of those films. So I will check out that one this week and I'll come back and I'll let you know. All right, let's jump from, because we've done, the, 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 this, this article does have a number of female directors uh, on it. So far, we've mentioned one female director in Jane Campion. Let's move to another female director uh, in Catherine Bigelow. So Catherine Bigelow and the film that they picked was Point Break, 1991's version, Point Break. And I say 1991's version because there was a remake that came out, but I guess it wasn't Catherine Bigelow that did that one. So uh, obviously that doesn't uh, that doesn't count. But yeah, so 
Catherine, um, Point Break, uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, Patrick Swayze. Producer Dave, what do you think of that as an entry into Catherine Bigelow's work? Um, I can't really comment on it. I'll have to leave that one to you because I haven't seen it. Yeah, you haven't seen... Um, I'm sorry, you haven't seen Point Break. I could say the same with you not seeing any of um, Pedro Almodovar. <laughs> so, you know, move on. <laughs> you know, fine. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I will take that. Um, okay, so Point Break, you know what? I would say I agree. I agree wholeheartedly that this is uh, this is the film to introduce you to her work. Uh, her work is very is varied. I mean, she it, the reason why this one in particular works is because it, it's it's been it, it's quoted to death. It's a, it, the it, the images that come from this film. It, basically, whenever you see any film where there are bank robbers and they're wearing masks, or not just masks, but like faces of other people, usually American presidents, it came from this movie. It is, it, that's basically where this film, you know, where it came from. And it, it had uh, Keanu Reeves, it has, uh, oh, what's his name? Gary Busey, it has Laurie Petty, it has, I think one of the guys from Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, I can't remember his name, um, I, I, I may be mistaken, but I'm sure it has Red Hot Chili Peppers in it. And obviously Patrick Stewart, fantastic action movie, cheesy action movie, filmed, uh, not a recent film, it came out a while ago, Hot Fuzz. Um, they, they pay homage to it and even they name check it and they pay homage to it in a brilliant way in one of the amazing scenes in it as well. Uh, so yes, I 100% agree. Other films from uh, Catherine Bigelow, you have things like uh, K-19 Widowmaker with Harrison Ford from back in the day. That kind of went, like, it came out very quietly and disappeared, but I remember when it came out. Uh, Strange Days was one of the first films I saw of hers. Uh, I, that was after Point Break, but I saw it before, uh, and it had Ray Fiennes and Angela, not Angela Bassett. Yeah, Angela Bassett. Um, it, it's a it's a very, it's a futuristic film, very cyberpunk but it's it's a great film it's a very good film i really enjoyed that film um and zero dark 30 recently that came out and so on but yeah absolutely i agree with that bit in the article anyway let's wrap up the segment by looking at the last uh director in this list martin scorsese goodfellas 1990 producer dave what do you think actually i think it's a good fit i agree there is a good fit and it, it, it's an introduction to Martin Scorsese's work. He's got a, he's got a massive catalog, right? But it is the film that it, it, it came out at the right time. It hit the right beats. It has the right sense of humor. It has Martin Scorsese's push on for violence, just intercut with great music and excellent dialogue. The performances across the board, all fantastic. Ray Liotta, uh, rest in peace, died fairly recently. Um, so, uh, Samuel Jackson pops up in there. Uh, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, all of them. Great. Yeah, I agree 100%. Although, I mean, ah, no, I agree. I agree. That's the film you should watch first for Martin Scorsese before you jump in and see all of his other excellent work. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And this is Spotlight. <laughs> listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I have with me uh, a comedian, 
who is prepping her show at, at the moment. It's a multi-award-winning comedian who's going to tell us her name and how long she's been in comedy. Oh, hello. Um, my name is Evie Howes, and I've been doing comedy, I guess, probably for the last, like, 10 years. So you've been doing comedy for 10 years. What made you choose comedy as something to dedicate the last 10 years and most likely the rest of your life to doing? I never really wanted to be a comedian. When I was a kid, I was like, absolutely. I was like obsessed with comedies. I had like uh, CDs of like Jerry Seinfeld and Eddie Izzard that I would just completely memorize and perform for anyone that would listen and I made my friends act out Blackadder and like school assembly um, until they, it consistently got no laughs. So um, after a while they were like, we don't want to do that anymore. So yeah, I was like, I was quite obsessed with it, but like I never um, wanted to be a comedian. I think cause like, I didn't really see anyone who was super like me doing comedy. Some, um, you know, quite feminine, I'm a woman um on the spectrum it's like there was no one out there like me so I, I didn't really think it was an option but I always loved it but yeah one day I was at uni and my friend was like do you want to do stand-up comedy with me on this open mic night and I really didn't but I'd gone through a breakup recently and I was in that kind of you know when you're in that mode that's like I will say yes to everything <laughs> yes to life just to spite you so I was like all right I'll do it and I wrote a set and I was so scared, I was so scared, so nervous. But like, I, I got up there, they called my name and I just started talking and it was just, I can just like take myself back to that moment so clearly. Um, it, it was like everything slowed down. I, I can just still see the bar that was like packed with people and people like really laughing, like throwing their heads back and it, uh, it was just incredible. I was like, oh my, oh my God, <laughs> like I can actually do yeah so I immediately signed up to do more gigs and more stand-up and I was doing it all the time and so I'm from like a small town in New Zealand and I got invited to Auckland to do gigs up there and I was very excited to do that and thought I did a number of gigs and they went great and then I did my final one and I was opening for a more famous older male comic and I did my set and then he got up and um, did a bunch of material about me so very very sexual material about me I never wanted to put my dick into a comedian before, but then I saw Abby was the way he opened and then he kept going. I, and then after that, I stopped doing stand-up um, because I don't know, it had a really big effect on me, I think. I think it was like very humiliating in itself, but also um, there are a bunch of other comedians there and nobody did anything. And it was like, this is normal. And they, that was the way it was. It was just kind of like, oh, oh, you know, he's on the wines again. <laughs> You see, now just, with what you've just said, you've just sort of, it, it, you've opened up a whole new set of questions that I, I I did think about, I wanted to ask, but then I wondered if I should just let it go. But then you just, you, you've brought that up and I do want to touch upon that sort of dynamic, male comedians, female comedians working together. The stand-up comedy is one of the industries where your, your MO is to go out and try to be funny. And a lot of times, being funny means saying things that are considered rude because a lot of people will find will will find humor in in sort of being rude so and then now we're going through the whole me too movement um and and as such how has that i was going to say how has that affected you but from what from what i'm hearing 
one of your big breaks, which is opening for a popular comedian, has you know essentially been marked by this particular bad behavior. I want to put it in air quotes, but it is bad behavior um, because, as you said, no one was there to protect you. But in that regards, let's say you're talking now to other younger female comedians who are coming into the industry and want to step in and you want that you want you want to help them avoid that pitfall what can they do in this situation where it's almost male dominated what kind of advice would you give to aspiring female comedians to avoid that pitfall i feel like they shouldn't the owner shouldn't be on them to avoid things it should be kind of um things should be more in place in the structure of of the way stand-up comedy operates that they there shouldn't be pitfalls to fall into because it's not really the same for women you know um I don't do every gig um that I get offered because um it wouldn't be safe for me to go into certain clubs uh I, I know I know that um certain certain audiences won't won't like me just from the second that I walk out on stage so yeah, it's it's a real tricky one. I feel like things. Uh, I don't. I can't speak to the UK, but I, I feel like in New Zealand things are getting better. Um, one of the big reasons that I came back and and wanted to do comedy again was because the people that were rising up, uh, the people that are at the top, there were a lot more women talking about. Would be like um, Angela Dravid, who's and uh, she's like me. She's she's very soft spoken. She's very feminine. But she was one of the t- she's one of the top comedians in in New Zealand. And seeing someone like her, you start to think, well, maybe I I could do I could come back and do that too. Seeing these people coming up was made me want to come back because it felt safer. Because for a long time, it didn't really feel safe for me. I totally understand that, and it, I know there was recently Catherine Ryan had a show in the UK, and she talked about she talked openly about how the sexism, etc. So I guess it's it's commonplace in a lot of industries, not just comedy. It seems like it's something, as you said, that needs to be stamped out, and it's not the onus shouldn't be placed on the female comedian to make themselves safe, even though yes, they can, but then you you don't have you don't discount everybody else who's trying to make it dangerous for you. So there's that aspect. But let's move on to more uh, inter- more, more funny uh, topics. For example, <laughs> one, that we, one that we ask all our comedians, all the comedians that have come on the show, is to give us a recount of their most memorable bomb on stage. So can you think of the most memorable bomb that you've had? Yeah, there's definitely one that comes to mind, um, which where I was booked for a conference for the auto industry. So we're talking a lot of blokes. I would say the room would be 90% men. And then um, I'm the comedian that they booked to <laughs> entertain them. And it was just one that before I even walked on stage, I was like, uh, uh, this is an absolute lost cause. I could, uh, and, and also I don't know anything about cars. I don't know anything that they could relate to. I, I have nothing, I have nothing for these people. So um, I think that was, it was almost like going up to an execution, really, because you're like, I know what's going to happen. I'm a lamb to the slaughter. And basically, I, I just did a monologue just to utter silence. But the thing that made it, the thing that I remember the, the most was there was one woman in the room and I kept looking at her because I was like, she's my gal. Like, um, you know, we're on the same team, but she hated me the most. She hated me the most of all. And I think about her sometimes. <laughs> So probably that one really sticks out. 
I love how you zone in on the one woman in the room hoping to find an ally, yet she's the one who cuts you down the most and is like, nah, don't look, yeah. don't look this way. Because again, you can imagine from her perspective, she has to work with these people. And as mm -hmm. such, she's probably had to develop a very thick skin dealing with all the jokes and whatnot. And then now there's this woman who's talking, who's trying to bring back the femininity in, 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 in the conversation. She's like, no, no, because you're going to leave. I'm going to have to stay here with these guys. So yeah. F you. So that's pretty yeah, much we are you. not on the same team. <laughs> yes, we're not on the same team at all. You're listening <laughs> to the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm having a conversation here with Abby Howell, uh, you, uh, you have uh, a, a, your show, Harley Quinn, which is going up to Edinburgh. So tell us, what is the theme of the show uh, and what inspired Harley Quinn? Harley um, theme. That's what you, you got. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Basically, what inspired the show was I wanted to come back and do stand-up comedy again. So it had been like uh, in between the gig where I got harassed and Harley Quinn was seven years and in that time I did other stuff. I did sketch comedy and improv, but I hadn't touched stand-up comedy and I really didn't want to do it. But then um, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe as an actor in a show and I got to see so much comedy and so many people doing comedy just totally in their own way and on their own terms. I sort of decided, I think I want to come back and, and, do, and do it again, but do a show on my own terms and in my own way and um and that's what harlequin harlequin is so i talk about my journey to getting to comedy I, I talk about the incident that happened in auckland and it's kind of harlequin is me saying i'm back so the listeners to this show because our show shoot the breeze is is film and television mostly although we do expand into expand into other areas of art you know creative uh, the creative arts comedy, music, etc. Um, the fact that the name of your show, Harley Quinn, is not going to escape uh, some of our viewers who are huge Batman fans. Is there perhaps a link in terms of the characteristics of that character of Harley Quinn and what you demonstrate in your show? I, I would say not, not at all. It's a pure coincidence. It's a pun. But I do talk about movies quite a lot in the, um, in the show because I talk about several um, female comedians from history and um, the way their stories sort of intersect with mine. So, for example, Mabel Norman, who was a really huge, uh, she's like a massive um, silent movie star who's largely been forgotten, but she was, she was massive, like in the sort of early 1900s, a contemporary of Charlie Chaplin, and um, she directed him in a, a lot of his first movies and helped him develop the character of the little tramp. And um, she was like a, a huge, huge star. Um, he, she was, I believe, the first person to receive a pie in the face on film, which is pretty classic, classic gag. Um, but yeah, she was great. She was quite unusual because she was a physical comedian um, and there weren't that many female comedians that were very physical, but she would keep up with um, Charlie Chaplin with pratfalling and riding horses and shooting guns. She was very reckless. Um, so yeah, I talk about her. I talk about, um, gosh, uh, Moms Mabley, who is um, another kind of really classic uh, American comedian, uh, sort of from the 50s and 60s um, and moms didn't venture hugely into um, 
into film, but um, her big break came on, on television when she was in her 60s, which was um, pretty cool. Um, so yeah, there's in also a big section is about the Wizard of Oz. So there's a lot of like movies uh, in there because I'm a huge movie fan. I, I absolutely love uh, film. So um, it's a big part of me. So it's it's a big part of the show as well. That's good. I'm going to be tying in a lot of questions to do with movies, obviously, so we can talk about uh, your influences, etc. You mentioned Moms Mabley. I found out about her from The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Do you watch that series? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first introduction to, to her, because obviously, for those people who don't know the show, it's just following a uh, fictional comedian in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and you get to see other famous comedians of the time. You get to see Benny, uh, Lenny Bruce. <laughs> you get to see Mobs um, Mabley, and so a whole bunch of other people as they're rising through. So yes, you mentioned that. Um, one of my favorite uh, duo is actually New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand comedians, uh, the Flight of Concords, um, and I, I I love their stuff. Uh, and it's sort of when I when I think of New Zealand, I always think of uh, as you know, a sort of quiet, nice comedy. They, I don't know, someone, someone funnier than me said that uh, New Zealand is like the Canada of Australia. So it's, it's, so that's how I see it, right? I see New Zealanders as very nice, polite, uh, gentle comedy. Is that, is that correct? Is that sort of assumption correct about the New Zealand comedy scene? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I do. Um, I also love Flight of the Concords as well. Um, I, I don't know, I feel so proud whenever I see them, even though I obviously have nothing to do with it. <laughs> but I was yeah, like, you oh, should, yes. You should, you should the patriotism. Exactly, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, I think so. Like, I mean, obviously there's like um, diversity within the comedy scene. So you have your... Um, your insult comics in there you have your older comic comics who um you know i i would say are quite quite rude <laughs> quite mean um you know there's a lot of diversity but in there but yeah i think that's quite a fair assessment um for example new zealand has its own series of taskmaster and um if you watch the series of taskmaster um they're, they're all really lovely <laughs> they're super lovely people yeah, a lot of our big comedians are, are quite lovely, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because um, New Zealanders also like swear a lot and, um, you know, can be quite, there's sort of the, what are the other sort of stereotypes? Is it, yeah, sort of uh, superficially friendly, but you don't really get much uh, deeper. I mean, I certainly, I think I'm, I'm nice. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, yeah. From the way you're coming across, you do. You seem very nice. <laughs> it, it's it's very gentle uh, with your comedy. I'm, I'm assuming I've never seen you perform. Um, yeah. But speaking of seeing you perform, you're going to be doing your uh, previews of your Edinburgh show. Are you doing previews of your Edinburgh show in the UK anytime soon? No, I'm not. I'm I'm going straight to the to Edinburgh. I've so done this show about uh, eight times, so okay. I'm uh, I'm ready to go. Um, yeah, it's so exciting. It's really soon. <laughs> so when are, you, when are you heading up to Edinburgh? When when are you heading up to Edinburgh? What is where, where is the location that you're going to be performing? If you already have that information, so that people who are going up, I know Edinburgh is still uh, a little while away. But you know, if anyone when people listen to this either on radio or on the podcast, they can remember. Oh yes, you know, Abby Howells has you know Harley Queen, which is going to be in Edinburgh on this date. Uh, you know, when are you going to be up in Edinburgh with your show? 
So I'm performing from the 5th till the 29th of um, August, and I'm with the venue Underbelly in the Weeku uh, in the square uh, at 10 to 6 um, is my, my time slot. Um, so yeah, please, I would please come. I come all the way from New Zealand. It's uh, it's good stuff. And I'm also performing in another show at 11 p.m., um, which is an improv show, which is a bunch of New Zealand comics, and if, it's called Snort, and that's at Pleasant's um, Courtyard. And I would definitely recommend that just because uh, the people coming over, um, even if you don't come for me, come for them. You're gonna see uh, some of New Zealand's like absolute top. Uh, comics um and they are they are so funny um I, I feel just so excited to be in the same room as them every night so if you if you're not interested in me go see some New Zealand comedy I'm sure people will go up there they'll be interested in you absolutely <laughs> you're, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM I'm Marcus E. Ako and I'm here with uh comedian Abby Howells who's taking her uh, performance of Harley Queen to Edinburgh, playing at the Underbelly at, uh, from the 5th of August to the 29th of August, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then you're also in a an improv show, which is going to be uh, around the same time in, in, with New Zealand called Snort, right? You said it's Snort. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, let's let's move let's move on to more of the concept, your perspective on the concept uh, on concepts of comedy. So one of the questions I've been asking, because I'm doing this uh, YouTube channel where I'm trying to learn how to become a stand-up comedian, I'm currently at the phase of being an open micer, right? So just, you know, stepping on there, trying to find a five-minute spot to go and perform. Uh, can, can you chart for us, from your perspective, um, how a, a, an aspiring comedian can go from, what are the steps that an aspiring comedian will follow to go from open mic to performing at Edinburgh Festival? I think it takes a little while for things to click into place in terms of finding your voice and finding um, the best way to um, present yourself as a, as a comedian on stage. Oh God, sorry, what was the question again? That's because the way I'm trying to, I know it's a very, it's a very convoluted, weird question. <laughs> There's so much that when I ask it, I'm like, I've asked this question like three times already and I still haven't gotten it like succinct enough. Basically, the way I'm trying to look at it is I'm seeing if someone is starting, obviously, from an open mic perspective, they're doing open mic, they do five minutes. And, we, you know, we know that there is a progression of doing five minutes and then seven minutes and then ten minutes. Um, from your perspective, uh, what does somebody need to do to look out for in terms of those milestones? And if you can think of like you know, number of times they have to perform a particular five minute bit to then know to then expand it now to seven minutes and then do it for a number of times and then and so on. So I'm trying to I'm trying to science this, right? I'm trying to science my progression uh, in comedy to success. I'm trying to roadmap it and say, right, here's what I'm going to do with five minutes and I'm going to do this so many times and I'm going to move to seven minutes and this is what I have to do with my seven minutes to get to 10 minutes and then get a paying gig and then go and so on and so forth. So from your experience, you've been there before. You've been in the industry for 10 years. Um, if you were to look at me, who was just starting out, what can I expect in terms of milestoning my progress from my open mic day, which is soon, uh, to going to Edinburgh with a 20, 30, one hour show? Um, I think the first thing I would say would be 
it's okay to not be immediately great. Um, and the unfortunate thing about stand-up comedy is that you have to learn how to do it in public, which is um, awful. <laughs> you know, other jobs, if you're learning to be an accountant, you can make those mistakes in private. But um, yeah, you, you really have to um, put yourself out there and fail a lot to um, find what actually works. Um, I'm, I'm quite analytical, I guess. So when I first started, if I would have, you'd have maybe one joke that worked in the five minute set. And then I would go very, really trying to analyze what was it about that, that people responded to and how can I do more of something that's like this? So what, uh, what clicked into place for me was actually um, more vulnerability that I used to kind of come out and do a bit of a character and have sort of observations and that kind of thing. But that didn't really work. And until one day I, I sort of started just talking more about my life and like my perspective and what kind of goes on in my head or myself as a kid. And that was the things that really started, um, started clicking into place. Um, so yeah, I think, and I think actually the more you share of yourself, the, the, the better it's going to go because they've come to see you, you know, and, and what is it about you that um, is, is unique? What, um, and I think also people like you, they like you more when they feel that you're being somewhat authentic. Um, that's, that's the other thing that I noticed that when I started being more vulnerable and, and telling the audience about like, I mean, just humiliating stuff that's um, uh, I've done or has happened to me. It's, you know, if there's a story that's like, oh God, I would hate for anyone to know that. That's when I know that I should tell that as a joke um, because that's the good stuff. <laughs> um but yeah I noticed when I started doing that more not only did the audience laughing but you can sense they like you too because you know you're putting yourself out there um and and that's always compelling I think when someone comes out and they kind of know themselves so yeah I guess my advice would be um I also got some really good advice when if you bomb uh, someone told me get up and do a gig as soon as possible do on the next night if you have to get back on the horse again as quickly as possible think about when you're the most funny with your friends um, you know and who is that person and how can I bring that person to this stage that piece of advice that you that you received I 100% agree with it and from experience literally mm -hmm. just yeah. So one uh, one of these days, I'll I'll go on air and I'll I'll exp I'll chart what's happened with me so far, and I will be doing that um, as we go along. But yes, I 100%. I'm living proof that yes, when you the moment you bomb, try and find the very next opportunity to go on stage and perform. Try and tweak your material to get it working. And then try and get because that's the best way to pull yourself out of it. Otherwise, you'll wallow in that bomb and just and that's it. Uh, Abby, thank you very much for joining us and talking to us about your show, um, uh, Harley Queen, which is going to be at Edinburgh at the Underbelly from the 5th of August to the 29th of August, as well as the improv show Snort, which is going to have a whole bunch of funny comedians 
Uh, are you going to have? And I'm, I'm just taking a stab in the dark here. Is Reese Darby going to be with you guys doing the improv set, or um, unless uh, Reese will not be with us, but um, we we love him. <laughs> okay, uh, so I know he's so yeah he's so busy he's he's so he's a super famous um, Hollywood heartthrob now. <laughs> he has no time. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, he's there. With <laughs> Taika Waititi and Brett McKenzie. <laughs> and uh, Jermaine Clement. So obviously they're not going to be coming out and performing and doing whatever, but uh, it's all good. Let me just wrap up this with this one question. Just think of, uh, just right now, putting you on the spot. Can you tell us uh, one of your comedy film inspirations, film or television shows that have been, that sort of, people can say, you, you can say, if you like this film or this television show, you will love Harley Quinn, because that's what I'm, that's what it is. What film or TV show can you place that will be representative of you and your act? I would say if you like Pin 15, you'll probably like um, my show. Um, <laughs> I talk a lot about being a teen. Yep. And, um, and I, I, I think I have the look of someone who was bullied in high school I, um, it, because I absolutely was. <laughs> yeah, I was um, really, really strange and in my own world. And um if you like that, then you, you'll probably like my show. Pen15 was just on Sky uh, in the UK fairly recently, about a few months ago. It's a hilarious TV show just about two girls and their experiences and whatnot. And it just, it caught me off guard and really good, really good show. Um, excellent. Abby Howells, we wish you all the best with uh, Harley Quinn up in Edinburgh this in, in, in August. Um, when you go and you perform and you crush it, come back on the show and tell us how it went, how well it was, how your improv with Snort was amazing. And uh, we'll hope to be able to, to, you know, to share more and get to hear more about your, your shows and your performances. Hopefully you'll be performing in the UK so that we can actually then, you know, come and see you. And uh, I say UK, Edinburgh technically is in UK, in, you know, in this area and in England, just before you go, your social media tags, if people want to follow you and check out your work. Oh, yes, you can follow me on Instagram at, um, at Abby Howells, please. And that's probably the best way to find me. I have a Twitter account, but I never use it. And I'm stuck with a username I made when I was like um, 15. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, it's, so, it's yeah. Abby, so it's Abby Howells, please. So it's A-B-B-Y-H-O-W-E-L-L-S-P-L-E-A-S-E. So please, as in please. Yeah. Fantastic. Abby, crush it in Edinburgh, and we'll speak to you soon. And that was my conversation with Abby Howells. Uh, I wish I was going to Edinburgh this year because there are a number of different projects that I, I would love to go and see. I'd love to see uh, uh, Phil Green's show. Uh, we talked to him last week. Uh, 90s boy, Blair, Love Gun. Uh, and uh, Blair loved on me. I'd love to have seen that. Love to see Harley Quinn and a whole bunch of other performances. But, you know, Edinburgh is not this year for me. Fingers crossed next year. You have, you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank you all for listening to me ramble week in, week out about random stuff, film related, TV related, my pet projects like the comedy thing and the YouTube channel that I've been trying to do. Um, thank you for, for just, you know, bearing out with me. Uh, even if you're just playing it in the background while you're washing dishes, I appreciate it. And again, as always, Resonance FM, thank you for not listening to the show, because if you did, you would see what I've been doing, and you'd, you'd yank it from me. 
So thank you for not uh, cancelling us yet and letting us carry on and do some stuff. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. And I'm still producer Dave. And thank you very much for listening. Um, speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.